The Nutritional Dimension to Abiogenesis and Evolution Introduction The entirety of life is a continuum of evolution. The evolutionary tree has its origins in a dot of a living organism 3.8 billion years ago from which millions of species have been generated through cellular life first as the trunk and with continuous bifurcations of divergences and ascendancy into increasing tiers of complexities from 3.0 to 3.5 billion years to present day organisms. Organisms have been classified according to cladistics and phylogenetics, 1,2, to show their evolutionary relationships. However, whilst phylogenetic trees produced on the basis of sequenced genes or genomic data in different species can provide evolutionary insight, they have important limitations in that they do not necessarily accurately represent the species' evolutionary history. Wikipedia, http colon slash slash n.wikipedia.org slash wiki slash phylogenetic underscore tree. Studies of morphology and fossils create even more uncertainties and the Linnean system of classification has taken a back seat to cladistics in recent times. Here we show that examination of the tree of life through the nutritional perspective will provide a useful insight in environmental science to reveal the interrelationships between the organisms through the history of the earth. Within the continuum of life organisms act as nutrient processors and recyclers driven by an energy source. This environmental dimension provides us with an opportunity to study the nutritional interrelationships between organisms connected through reproduction. The energy source has been the sun in the main but it could also be the heat from the core of the earth, which together with other energies derived initially from the Big Bang and the subsequent cooling and expansion of the universe generated matter in which the energy became locked into atoms, molecules and covalent bonds in nature. The evolution of life may be seen as being simply the biochemical processes that have intercepted the energy flow of the universe to cause the circulation of nutrient chemicals in nature. This paper summarizes the theory for developing such a methodology in relation to the uncertainties prevailing in the geological conditions of the earth for abiogenesis and evolution from such a nutritional perspective. The Nutritional Methodology the nutritional methodology requires an audit on the origins and availability of chemical compounds as sources of nutrients for the genesis of life and its subsequent evolution from arcane life to present day organisms. It requires a consideration of ecology in relation to geology and the development of the atmosphere through the history of the earth from 4.5 billion years ago. The formation and evolution of life is predicated on the geological resources available in prehistoric and historic times in the following sequential steps of abiogenesis towards self-sustaining evolution, the point at which organisms start to exist in dynamic equilibrium with the relative abundance of raw materials for the biosphere. Step 1. From atoms to protobiomolecules, astrophysical chemistry known. Step 2. A protobiomolecules to polymers, geopolymer chemistry known. Step 2. B. From protobiomolecules to bioorganic molecules, 8 atoms or more, photosynthetic chemistry known and heat synthetic chemistry known. Step 3. From polymer replicators to self replicators, polymer chemistry unknown. Step 4. From self replicators to cellular replicators, incorporating food synthesis of step 2b, molecular biochemistry unknown. Step 5. From cellular replicators to directed replicators, nucleic acid directed, Molecular biochemistry unknown. Step 6. From directed replicators to functional organism, last universal common ancestor, molecular biochemistry unknown. Step 7. From functional organism to multicellular organism, intercellular biochemistry unknown. Step 8. From multicellular organism to complex multicellular organism, evolutionary biochemistry known. 
The study of abiogenesis requires the classification of primary raw materials that might have been of terrestrial or extraterrestrial origin in the early Earth of 4.0 billion years ago. Centrally, the question that needs to be answered relates to the origins of the RNA and DNA replicators in terms of the generation and availability of the purine and pyrimidine precursors of nucleic acids. Were they all present here on Earth or did they arrive from outer space? What is the likelihood of the compounds being synthesized raw materials in the Earth's geology with hydrogen cyanide and or ammonia being the nitrogen donor present? Was cyanoacetylene a precursor of the polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, PAH, that formed from the formaldehyde present? Or did these PA arrive on the planet from extraterrestrial sources in the form of asteroids that pelted Earth during its initial stages of formation, in the same way as the water of the oceans arrived from comet bombardment? Could the early Earth itself have a supply of these purines and pyrimidines from its own formation or from ongoing subterranean geological processes leading to formation of certain rocks? Was there both terrestrial and extraterrestrial sources of purines and pyrimidines? These are the uncertainties currently within which the nutritional perspective is to be assessed. Organisms have evolved to diverse levels to utilize the energy and nutrients in the environment. This diversification is governed by the principles of evolutionary biology which is best understood by classifying the organisms in different ways so that their interrelationships become clear in developing the evolutionary tree from the first organisms roughly 4.0 billion years ago. This paper suggests that classification of different organisms phylogenetically serves a very useful purpose but it does not tell one the full pattern of this evolution of species until the nutrient processing dimension is outlined and possibly incorporated in the analysis of the interrelationships between organisms. A suitable form of classification of all organisms is therefore necessary that will establish the nutritional pattern of evolutionary history between life forms. All chemicals in nature may be regarded as potential nutrients for life forms although numerous chemicals and compounds are useless or even toxic to known organisms. Of these, the following compounds have been identified to be of prominence in nutrition, formaldehyde, carbon dioxide, hydrogen carbonate, hydrogen sulfide, oxygen, water, elemental sulfur, iron, manganese, inorganic phosphates, e.g. dihydrogen phosphate ion, molecular hydrogen, ammonia, hydrogen cyanide, nitrogen, methane, methanotrophs, and perhaps other microminerals found in plants. These are compounds and elements that are composed of five atoms or less and were or are readily available from the geological and atmospheric environment. Organisms that are reliant a nutrient source of eight covalently bonded atoms or more are called secondary food synthesizers or SFS, whilst those reliant on nutrient source of up to seven covalently bonded atoms are called primary food synthesizers, or PFS. Their nutritional usage permits us to develop the nutritional classification of organisms in our study of evolution. According to the nutritional methodology proposed for classifying organisms there are two main types of living organisms, primary food synthesizers, PFS, and secondary food synthesizers, SFS. Some organisms may have both capacities and come into the intermediate category of PFS-SFS. These categories of organisms have charted their own course through evolution. PFS utilize molecules for their food energy synthesis from the geology of the Earth atmosphere system of seven covalently bonded atoms or less, while SFS utilize organic sources of food energy nutrients that contain eight covalently bonded atoms or more. The last universal common ancestor, LUCA, would only have had those geological resources so that PFS organisms came first in the arcane era and then the history of the planet. The nutritional study of abiogenesis and evolution determines firstly, when PFS followed PFS or when organisms changed from PFS to SFS through an intermediate stages of PFS-SFS from prehistoric, 
historic and present-day organisms, and secondly, further to chart the development of nitrogenous compounds in organisms. This is the nutritional perspective for understanding nature. In this methodology, the nutritional relationship is limited to finding the interconnections in food production in the utilization and formation of covalently bonded food energy nutrients. This is viewing nutrients as foods and foods as nutrients for the classification of PFS and SFS. Food are simple sugars, carbohydrates, D and polysaccharides, fats and protein. By sugars, is meant glucose, ribose, sucrose etc., by carbohydrates disaccharides and polysaccharides. Cellulose, hemicellulose, pectins, lignines and phospholipids are also classified as food energy nutrient sources as well, as are proteins and fats. Plants also utilize macro minerals such as boron from boric acid, H3BO3, for functions like calcium utilization, nucleic acid synthesis and membrane integrity and is apparently incorporated into cell walls, wikipedia http colon slash slash n.wikipedia.org slash wiki slash boron underscore compounds, while phosphorus from H2PO4 and HPO42 are absorbed and used for energy-carrying phosphate compounds, ATP and ADP, nucleic acids, coenzymes and phospholipids, 4. H2PO4 incorporation into phospholipids determine the cutting point in the use of seven covalently bonded molecules for this system of classification as molecules with covalently bonds atoms needed for food synthesis as defined above. Food nutrients will be compounds of covalent bonding only that are directly incorporated into these foods like carbon dioxide, water, methane. Animals require oxygen for respiration but qualify as SFS on the basis that they are simultaneously dependent on six atom plus, carbon-based covalent bonded dietary nutrients, for fat, proteins, and carbohydrate, glycogen, production. We need to identify what bacterial metabolism is in relation to classification of PFS and SFS, what were and are all the covalently bonded food nutrients that they take in to produce sugars, carbohydrates, fats, or proteins. Why are we using only covalently bonded molecules and why strictly for food production? This is because abiogenesis and evolution is concerned with energy processing by utilizing these nutritional resources of the earth for life. Covalent bonds have energy trapped in them which life forms are able to exploit to give the the energy of life in order to sustain themselves as PFS. Evolution has progressed by the nutritional modification of these energy sources for food energy production which in turn sustains life. This evolution has led to the emergence and further intricate diversification of SFS. The original life forms would have used such covalently bonded molecules as carbon dioxide, water, methane, molecular hydrogen, ammonia, sulfate, etc. The type of bond is important, because covalently bonded molecules have different chemistry slash properties to ionic bonded molecules in terms of possibilities for further molecular polymer conversion possibilities in biology. Peculiarites are easily resolved. Simsagitifera roscafensis juveniles feed like any other acolomorph, with a mouth and pharynx but in adults the mouth and pharynx degenerate and the worm becomes photoautotrophic living off the excess sugars provided by its symbiotic algae, 5. It should be placed in the SFS category as it is reliant of another organism for its adult nutrition as well as its juvenile nutrition. Hemiparasitic plants may come into the PFS-SFS category although at this stage I am not clear just how widespread this category is and whether it is only a transition phase that is unsustainable in evolution or whether in terms of total biomass there is a large proportion of organisms that are PFS-SFS. When an audit of all the organisms is done to determine the quantities of PFS, PFS-SFS, and SFS biomass in the planet, it will not show the balance of nature. Incidentally, 
hemiparasitic plants or may still be PFS if they do some photosynthesis and only obtain water and minerals from their hosts, or the may be PFS SFS if they utilize sugars or other complex molecules. Holoparasites are plants that are classified as SPS because they are completely parasitic on other plants and have virtually no chlorophyll so require complex carbon and other nitrogenous compounds from their hosts. Chloroplasts and mitochondria are not organisms but should be treated as organelles, so that they do not get classified as independent species requiring classification. The host, plant, uses this organelle, chloroplast, to utilize CO2 and H20 in the environment and is therefore PFS. Similarly, the mitochondria is an organelle in the host plant or animal and does not require classification as a PFS, SFS or PFS-SFS. The host animal if it is reliant on compounds of 8 covalent atoms or more will be an SFS. Chloroplasts and mitochondria cannot live in any medium but in the host that it was a symbiont in but became an organelle subsequently. The original organisms from which they were derived have become extinct. According to the endosymbiosis theory, these organelles were once in the same position as the Simsagitifera's algae are, potentially free-living things that ended up in a symbiotic relationship with an engulfing organism, the proto-eukaryotic cell. They are PFS that got eaten, but instead of being digested, found it a congenial habitat. Moreover, the nearest living relative, genetically, of mitochondria is rickettsia, the thing that causes epidemic typhus, 5. This is a free-living organelle. Rickettsia however cannot live in artificial nutrient environments and are grown either in tissue or embryo cultures. It is dependent on something that is 8 atoms or more in length, a tissue or an embryo, so qualifies as an SFS organism. Organisms have been classified according to their nutrition in different ways before, 6, but these do not allow the classification to be incorporated into evolutionary pathways in a clear way that enables nutritional evolution to be assessed. Labels like chemotrophs, lithotrophs, methanotrophs, etc. as good descriptions of the organisms but not so useful if one wishes to chart evolutionary pathways. For example some chemotrophs are autotrophs that are supposed to utilize organic matter as food source, chemoorganotrophs versus chemolithotrophs, which is not ideal as chemoorganotrophs are actually secondary food synthesizers mixed in among the PFS. Autotrophs and heterotrophs are good terms, but they are static conceptually as a methodological tool, the PFS, SFS and PFS, SFS classification system will give an alternative and sounder tool for following the evolution of organisms through the channeling of nutrients and ecosystems. It considers that the energy is the driving force, while life forms are the means that channeled that energy together with other nutrients through the various ecosystems that existed and exist today, thus giving us the evolutionary picture. The present classification scheme includes photoautotrophs that synthesize food using sunlight to combine carbon dioxide and water, chemoautotrophs that instead of SUSE the oxidation of electron donors and methanotrophs, type I and type II, are also included in PFS. Each geoclimatic condition will generate its own course of evolution through the processing of nutrients within individual species of organisms. So C3 and CAM, crassulation acid metabolism, photosynthesis could have arisen numerous times in different environmental conditions. Such developments would not be considered surprising in the least given the variations in geoclimatic conditions, arid, semi-arid, tropical, subtropical, etc., on Earth. But there will be evolutionary relationships causing separate pathways of lineages that share a common scheme for the processing of nutrients. Each of these environmental conditions would have their ecological features from within which the processing of food energy nutrients would have to be examined to outline the evolutionary pathways. There is another dimension to the nutritional perspective on abiogenesis and evolution. 
the incorporation of nitrogen through PFS, SFS and PFS, SFS need to be followed. Similarly, atmospheric nitrogen-fixing bacteria that must have been a later evolution needs to be examined that generate the nitrogen needed for life functions. Traditional science places excessive focus on carbon in classifications. On the other hand charting nitrogen is vital, because without this there would be no purines, pyrimidines, nucleic acids, RNA, DNA and above all protein, so there would be no genes and no reproduction as we know it, so no life. There is no evidence that the earliest organisms had a nitrogen-free existence and that the RNA world was non-existent at this point. But this cannot be ruled out. Whilst it is possible that the RNA world came about by some magical process during a Miller-Urey type reaction and a fermentation vat of nature which also generated the ribose sugar for the replicator, an alternative scenario may be that ribose sugar formed independently from a formaldehyde polymerization and was incorporated in an earlier self-replicator before RNA came about. When were these formed and how? It had to be one of the earliest organisms so ammonia was an important early nutrient. Which ancient organism do we know of that utilizes ammonia still? If LUCA was a purine or a pyrimidine nitrogen-free organism how was it reproducing? Was it by fatty acid globules separating to generate the first type of mitosis? The earliest organisms could have derived their nitrogen from ammonia or hydrogen cyanide and or from purines and pyrimidines. When did structural protein first evolve? Do any of the first cellular PFS have cell membranes that incorporated nitrogen? Were the first organisms simply fatty acid globules of various kinds that incorporated environmental nitrogen from ammonia or hydrogen cyanide that had the capacity to divide automatically when they got to a certain size? Were such ammoniated lipids the precursors of structural protein? Were then environmental purines and or pyrimidines as the source of primordial genetic material absorbed into such globules to direct protein formation for life to begin? The ability of organisms to incorporate and utilize environmental nitrogen sources therefore need special consideration for research in the nutritional perspective on abiogenesis and evolution. Thus, the PFS-SFS system, PFS being autotrophs more clearly defined based on the nutritional utilization of compounds and elements composed of seven atoms or less into organic compounds, and SFS being heterotrophs more clearly defined as those utilizing organic sources of eight atoms or more for their nutrition that require carbon-carbon catabolism for a release of their energies for metabolic purposes, gives us the nutritional framework for classifying organisms in a manner that will reveal the evolutionary relationships to complement other methods of classifying organism. PFS include plants on land, algae, kelp, while SFS include animals, ascomycete fungi, basidiomycete fungi, slime mold. Then we chart the progress of nitrogen through the ecosystem captured from various sources in relation to the disappearance of ammonia from early atmosphere, the availability of atmospheric nitrogen, carbon dioxide and other carbon sources, oxygen, and then calcium and especially phosphorus, needed for animal bones, other micronutrients fine-tune ecology around these major nutrients. The PFS and SFS classification incorporates herbivores slash scavengers and predators in ecosystems which is important for it describes areas of nutrient cycling. The green plants and trees in nature evolved from these beginnings of cyanogenic bacteria into those that developed chloroplasts through endosymbiotic evolution. We need for example to examine the development of chloroplasts from early life through cyanogenic bacteria. A study of PFS-SFS would chart one through organisms that led to the gradual development of these chloroplasts into higher plants and trees, higher meaning more complex, from a source that must have functioned without photosynthesis. 
mitochondria and chloroplasts were likely to have been bacterial organisms that got engulfed by species of early eukaryotes in which they found a habitat for existence so that the engulfing organisms should be treated as parasites of the day thereby belonging to the SFS nutritional category in my nutritional classification. Thus, the Archiplastida, or Plantae sensulato, are a major group of eukaryotes, comprising the red and green algae and the land plants, together with the glaucophytes. The plastids, chloroplasts, of all of these organisms are surrounded by two membranes, suggesting they developed directly from endosymbiote cyanobacteria Polynella chromatophora as another freshwater amoeboid has also taken on a cyanobacterium as an endosymbiont. Parasitic plants. In the plant kingdom, many flowering plants have gone the other way after long periods as PFS, that is they evolve their genes to start deriving certain nutrients back from other plants and even fungal sources as part of their symbiotic association with fungi through mycorrhizae and mycoheterotrophy. Thus the family Arobanashachi consists of 90 genera of holoparasitic and hemiparasitic plants and shows a classification based on their nutrition type except that in my system these labels appear to refer to SPS and PFS SFS categories. It should be noted for example that Allotropa virgata is not more closely related in evolutionary terms to Trichloma matsutake just because they are both SFS because the latter is a fungi and the former is a plant which has a closer relationship to Erica cineriaza PFS. Plants, animal, and fungi evolved from other organisms in their own categories roughly around the same time period and, and there has not been any overlapping or convergence between these kingdoms even though the nutrition may have changed in plants in particular. Fungi are genetically more closely related to animals than plants. Mistletoe, Biscum album, Sandalachi, and related species such as Phoodendron ceratinum are other species with parasitic activity that bring them into the PFS-SFS category. Viscum album can parasitize more than 200 tree and shrub species. All mistletoes are hemiparasites, bearing evergreen leaves that do some photosynthesis, and using the host mainly for water and mineral nutrients. Mistletoe first sprouts from bird feces on the trunk of the tree and in its early stages of life it takes nutrients from this source. Species more or less completely parasitic include the leafless quintral, Tristerix aphilis, which lives deep inside the sugar-transporting tissue of a spiny cactus, appearing only to show its tubular red flowers, and the genus Arcoitobium, dwarf mistletoe, Santalachi, which has reduced photosynthesis, as an adult, it manufactures only a small proportion of the sugars it needs from its own photosynthesis but as a seedling it actively photosynthesizes until a connection to the host is established. http colon slash slash n.wikipedia.org slash wiki slash mistletoe. Sandalwoods are medium-sized hemiparasitic trees. Notable members of this group are Indian sandalwood, sandalum album, and Australian sandalwood, sandalum spicatum. The plant parasitizes the roots of other tree species, with a hostorium adaptation on its own roots, but without major detriment to its hosts. An individual will form a non-obligate relationship with a number of other plants. Up to 300 species, including its own, can host the tree's development, supplying macronutrients phosphorus, nitrogen and potassium http colon slash slash n.wikipedia.org slash wiki slash sandalum underscore album. Chemistry. The formation of the earth after Big Bang and subsequent developments in the universe led to the generation of these special covalently bonded chemicals in the earth atmosphere system that formed the basis for the generation and propagation of life. The chemistry of covalent bonding between hydrogen, and elements in groups 3, 4, 5, 6 of period 1 and group 5 of period 2 in the periodic table are essential features needed for the, the biological polymerization of compounds that could be used for food production. We therefore need to talk about the atoms, rather than talking about primary producers, 
primary consumers, secondary consumers etc. that is discussed in ecology. The hypothesis of biological chemistry presented in this paper is centered on the observation of the special reactivity of these particular atoms for bonding into macromolecules. These atoms are less reactive and hence less corrosive on biological tissues than those atoms at either end of the periodic table and this is reflected in their property for covalent bonding with each other. This is at the heart of the biochemical basis for life. Specifically, at the period 1 level of the periodic table the small size of the atoms and distance of electrons from the nucleus renders them just right for the property of chemical polymerization with each other to form nourishing foods that are easily metabolized, like sugars, polysaccharides, proteins, lipids. The binder molecule in metabolism comes from phosphorus in period 2. It is the special chemistry of these atoms that lend themselves to biological activity leading to stable food storage compounds and biological tissue formations through covalent bonding. The ions that they form are also less reactive and facilitates homeostatic mechanisms of the organisms. This is why I retain the term covalent in the paper, to signify the reactivity of atoms needed for biology. The triple bonding of nitrogen is too strong for biological breakdown for the vast majority of organisms. The exceptions are certain groups of bacteria, including the cyanobacteria possessing the enzyme nitrogenase. These help nitrogen to be combined with hydrogen that is available to plants as ammonium molecules from the soils. Ammonium is also found naturally in the geology of the environment as ammonium chloride, sal ammoniac, and ammonium sulfate. So there is no need for larger-scale biological nitrogen cycle. The PFS-SFS balance in nature with regard to nitrogen is well maintained with the available usable nitrogen in the environment. As to what the number of atoms of 7 got to do with it, that is just the reality of the count that I have made of molecules in the geological environment that are the building blocks of life. If any reader knows of a compound or molecule with 8 covalent atoms that PFS absorb from the environment for conversion into polymeric macromolecules used for structure and nutrition of the organism, I would like to know what it is. The Nutritional Constraint on Evolutionary Biology There are two types of organisms and there is transition between the two. There are organisms which synthesize their food needs from primary geologically and atmospherically available raw materials and those that that depend on the foods thus produced. The way to distinguish between the two types has been outlined by naming the raw materials in general terms as those of seven or less covalently bonded atoms and those acquiring raw materials of eight or more covalently bonded atoms for maintenance growth and reproduction. All of evolution is the process of the transition between PFS and SFS through PFS-SFS that leaves a dynamic equilibrium in the environment between the three such that nature is in harmony. If the balance shifts towards more of PFS or SFS, the natural system will adjust through evolution to maintain the system. It is within this constraint of energy nutrient processing that evolution takes place. In this paper I'm just drawing attention to the idea that the nutritional environment regulates the proportions of PFS, PFS-SFS, and SFS-type organic biomass, which therefore allows specific evolutionary lineages to develop. Conclusion This paper provides the nutritional rationale as an additional perspective into abiogenesis and evolution. It has put forward a new and interesting way of studying evolution through prehistory by following the utilization and cycling of nutrients and the classification of organisms according to their covalently bonded food energy source and food energy synthesis. It is suggested that such a study will complement the sciences of paleontology and phylogenetic classifications well and assist our understanding of evolutionary relationships between organisms to shed greater light on the biological processes involved. How do we know the nutrition of these species? It opens up a whole new area for scientific research. 
Scientists will have to study the nutrition of microorganisms in particular of every description in detail to see which ones are utilizing nutrients of up to 7 covalently bonded atoms and which ones are relying on nutrients that are 8 covalently bonded atoms or more. Nutritional classification is vital to our study of evolution because organisms must first find the nutrients that they need to survive and so adaptation to nutrients that can be used as molecules to give the organism anatomical structure and energy for maintenance growth and reproduction are the organism's first priority. It will be useful to know when and how organisms might have changed between PFS, PFS, SFS, SFS and vice versa and then to identify if this is consistent with the results of cladistics and morphological taxonomy. The essential point is that in this methodology PFS are clearly defined as those utilizing geological resources of seven atoms or less and it does not talk about organic versus inorganic foods so that there is a clear demarcation line between PFS and SFS. When all related organisms have been assigned their PFS or SFS or PFS-SFS status it will be clear to see how nutritional evolution has taken place between generations leading to new species over long periods. Any move from PFS to SFS through the intermediate PFS-SFS stage will also be evident when evolutionary pathways are being determined. Uncertainties posed in phylogenetic classifications may be resolved using such additional information. What will happen in due course is the following. In your diagram all the species that fall under proteobacteria in the following diagram taken from Wikipedia, 9, for example will be assigned either the label PFS, SFS, or PFS-SFS so that it will give some indication of which species evolved from which one so that the evolutionary pathways will be outlined in terms of placing them in the correct genus, family, order, class, phylum, kingdom. If all the species in proteobacteria turned out to be SFS for example researchers will then look at the adjoining groups and assign the labels to their species. When this is continued though all the organisms it will show the entire evolutionary tree slash diagram of evolutionary relationships. This functional classification of organisms on the basis of nutrition should be done for the extant species from which it should be extrapolated to extinct ones on the basis of the Linnean system of classification or cladistics, whichever one a researcher opts as his chosen system to scrutinize. Evolutionary tree showing the divergence of modern species from the last universal ancestor in the center. The three domains are colored, with bacteria blue, archaea green, and eukaryotes red, Wikipedia, http colon slash slash and dot wikipedia dot org slash wiki slash most underscore recent underscore common underscore ancestor. References 1. Journey into phylogenetic systematics, http colon slash slash www.useemp.berkeley.edu slash clad slash clad 5.html. 2. Harvey, P. H. and M. D. Pajel. 1991. The Comparative Method in Evolutionary Biology. Oxford University Press, Oxford. 239 pp. 3. Woese, 2002. On the Evolution of Cells. Proc National ACAD Sci USA 99, 13, 8742 7. Vidcode 2002 PNAS. 99.8742 watts. DOI 10.1073 PNAS.1322669999. PMC 124,369. Vin 12,077,305. slash PMC slash article slash PMC 124369 slash. 4. Raven, Evert, and Ikern, Biology of Plant 6e, P.728 to 730. 5. Ulan Kalufid, Secular Cafe Website, Personal Communications. 6. 
Bradbury, I, The Biosphere. P67 to 93.Belhaven Press, London and New York. Permalink. November 10, 2012. By Shantanop, leave a comment. Paleontological tree of evolution is seen through nutrient processing. The entirety of life is a continuum of evolution. Life means organisms that are simply nutrient processors and recyclers driven by an energy source. The energy source could be the sun or it could be from the heat at the core of the earth which with other energies derived from the Big Bang and subsequent generation of matter has resulted in energy being locked into molecules and covalent bonds in nature. Evolution of life is simply the biochemical processes that have intercepted the energy flow as life to cause the circulation of nutrient chemicals in nature. We need to consider ecology in relation to geology and the development of the atmosphere through the history of the earth 4.5 billion years ago when considering abiogenesis and evolution. Classification of different organisms phylogenetically serves a useful purpose but it does not tell one the full pattern of evolution until the nutrient processing aspect is followed showing the interrelationships between organisms. This paper discusses a form of classification of all organisms that will establish the pattern of evolutionary history between life forms. All chemicals in nature are potential nutrients for life forms, depending on how quickly they can be absorbed, but the following have greater prominence in nutrition, formaldehyde, carbon dioxide, HCO3, hydrogen sulfide, oxygen, water, elemental sulfur, iron, manganese, inorganic phosphates, molecular hydrogen, ammonia, hydrogen cyanide, nitrogen, methane, methanotrophs, and other microminerals that we find in plants. These are compounds and elements that are composed of five atoms or less that are available from the geological and atmospheric environment from which a form of classification of organisms can be determined. According to this classification there are broadly two types of living organisms, primary food synthesizers, PFS, one might call them plants, and secondary food synthesizers, SFS, one might call them animals. Some organisms may have both capacities. These two broad categories of organisms have charted their own course through evolution. PFS utilize elements and molecules from the geology of the Earth atmosphere system of five atoms or less, while SFS utilize organic sources of six atoms or more. The last universal common ancestor would only have had those geological resources so that PFS organisms came first in the arcane era in the history of the planet. Scientists have been classifying organisms according to their nutrition but this is not incorporated into evolutionary pathways. For example some chemotrophs are autotrophs that are supposed to utilize organic matter as food source, chemoorganotrophs versus chemolithotrophs, which is not ideal as chemoorganotrophs are actually secondary food synthesizers mixed in among the PFS as I visualize evolutionary life. Autotrophs and heterotrophs are good terms, but they are static conceptually, whereas the concept I was thinking of is the channeling of nutrients through the ecosystem through the development of life forms which is why I invented the term food synthesizers, FS, to define life driven by the energy sources from the environment. It considers that the energy is the driving force, while life forms are the means that channeled that energy through the various ecosystems that existed and exist today, thus giving us the evolutionary picture. This paper introduced the PFS, SFS and PFS-SFS basis of classifying all organisms. Traditional science places excessive focus on carbon in the classifications. Other other hand charting nitrogen is vital, because without this there would be no purines, pyrimidines, nucleic acids, RNA, DNA and above all protein. So there would be no genes and no reproduction as we know it, so no life, nothing. Unless we consider that the earliest organisms had a nitrogen-free existence and the RNA world was non-existent and not a simultaneous development. 
So the earliest organisms must have derived their nitrogen from ammonia which there was a lot of in the early history of the earth. What are the candidates for this? Nitrogen fixation bacteria must have been a later evolution to generate the necessary nitrogen needed for life functions. When do we think these formed? It had to be one of the earliest organisms so ammonia was an important early nutrient. Which ancient organism do we know of that utilizes ammonia still? If LUCA was nitrogen-free organism how was it reproducing? Fatty acid globules separating to generate the first type of mitosis. When did structural protein first evolve? Do any PFS cell membrane incorporate nitrogen? Let us start the pathways for they would retain this nutrition once fixed until there is ammonia left in the environment for utilization. These issues need to be researched and studied. Thus, a good starting point in the examination of the paleontological tree of evolution as seen through nutrient processing would be the broad classification organisms into PFS, autotrophs more clearly defined based on the utilization of compounds and elements that are composed of five atoms or less that are available from the geological and atmospheric environment, and secondary food synthesis, SFS, heterotrophs more clearly defined as those utilizing organic sources of six atoms or more that also require carbon-carbon breakdown or catabolism for a release of their energies for metabolic purposes. PFS include plants on land, algae, kelp, while SFS include animals, ascomycete fungi, basidiomycete fungi, slime mold. Then we chart the progress of nitrogen through the ecosystem captured from various sources in relation to the disappearance of ammonia from early atmosphere, the availability of atmospheric nitrogen, carbon dioxide and other carbon sources, oxygen, and then calcium and especially phosphorus, needed for animal bones, other micronutrients fine-tune ecology around these major nutrients. Labels like chemotrophs, lithotrophs, methanotrophs, etc. as good descriptions of the organisms but not so useful if one wishes to chart evolutionary pathways. The PFS and SFS classification incorporates herbivores slash scavengers and predators in ecosystems which is important for it describes areas of nutrient cycling. Thus, according to PFS and SFS classification life is made up of plants and animals with animals being those organisms that feed on plants. Any organism that assembles organic compounds from inorganic chemicals and simple molecules of five atoms or less is an autotroph, a PFS. The green plants and trees in nature evolved from these beginnings into those that developed corolloplasts. Heterotrophs are SFS or organisms that assemble organic compounds of their own from consumption of organic matter of PFS, that is, Molecules that are more than five atoms long that also require carbon-carbon breakdown, catabolism, for a release of their energies for metabolic purposes. In this blog I have put forward a supplementary methodology for the study of evolutionary history. Viewers may wish to comment on whether or not they agree that what I have proposed is a good idea in the understanding of evolutionary biology, namely to examine nutrient processing from arcane life to present day in order to determine when PFS followed PFS, as I have defined these terms, or when organisms changed from PFS to SFS through an intermediate stages of PFS-SFS. To study prehistoric, historic and present-day organisms through the lens of PFS-SFS, and further to chart the development of nitrogenous compounds through the nutritional methodology for understanding nature. We need for example to examine the development of chloroplasts from early life through cyanogenic bacteria. A study of PFS-SFS would chart one through organisms that led to the gradual development of these chloroplasts into higher plants and trees, higher meaning more complex, from a source that must have functioned without photosynthesis. This is the nutritional perspective. Another relevant evolutionary development is biological nitrogen-fixing bacteria that relates to when this particular evolutionary bifurcation took place. 
I must admit that I've not studied the details of paleontology as revealed from fossils and phylogenetics. But from what I do know it does not provide sufficient scope for understanding nature. This blog provides the rationale for an additional perspective into the conventional wisdom associated with viewing evolution as being only that which is revealed or determined through fossil records or phylogenetically. I have put in this germ of the idea based on a conceptual understanding of evolutionary biology with environmental science for those who have never considered studied nutrition as the focus of ecology. It has put forward a novel new and interesting way of studying evolutionary prehistory.